Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning from my studios up in Fort Collins. You know, I was talking to uh, Ty, our, our engineer in the station there. And he said he got about five inches of snow. We got a dusting up here in Fort Collins. Uh, it'll melt probably before I could get out and shovel it. Didn't affect the roads, but really made me think that we're going to start seeing changing seasons. We're going to talk a lot of ice fishing uh, during today's show, but we're also going to talk on some open water fishing. There's some opportunities that come up very early, even when there's still some ice on the bodies of water. We're also going to talk some fly fishing today. There's fly fishing opportunities year-round in Colorado. Talk. We've got a lot to cover, actually. We're going to talk about a uh, full moon hike and snowshoe event that's going on that you can take part in. Uh, we'll, we'll just cover, uh, we got an ice fishing tournament coming up at Grand Lakes. we got a lot to cover. But uh, as we go through these next few weeks, we're going to be talking a lot about how quickly conditions can change in Colorado this time of the year. As the sun gets more intense, the daylight gets longer. So going to be a lot of interesting things going on and by the way i heard there's a football game tomorrow we might even at the end of the show talk with dan jacobs make some picks on that let's go to the phones right now and joining us he's a renowned fly fisherman he's uh, very accomplished in his craft you know him as a big fish expert as a guide he's an author uh landon mayor good morning good morning landon hey terry good to, good to be on man thanks for having me yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on. You know, you probably heard what I was talking about, how things change so quickly, but we'll get into this a little later. But there really is no reason to put your fly rods away in the winter in Colorado, is there? Absolutely, yeah. Four seasons out of the year, this is a great state to continue fishing. And during the winter months, it's not uncommon to have those sneaker warming days where even in Denver it can be 70 degrees and in the high country, low to mid 40s which will at times feel like summer especially after a cold blast <laughs> oh yeah i've had some of my best days let's get back to that in a minute because right now you're out at the fly fishing show which is in a new venue it's the second day of the show is that right landon absolutely yeah saturday second day of the show at the gaylord convention center and a new venue and a lot of great energy here we actually did receive some snow last night too about six inches up here so it's nice to see some of the powder and moisture coming down as well did uh, How was the first day? I mean, I know you've probably attended some of these shows because they've been going on around the country. Um, I'm going to be attending some shows yet coming up this year. And there was a period of time where I felt like we were kind of losing touch. You know, you, you do your writing. I do the radio show. I wrote a column for the Post. We do all right. those things, but it's one way going out. We get a little social media feedback. But there's nothing yeah. like really making contact with people in person, is there? Absolutely, yeah. Just having the show back and being able to see people bump fists, shake hands, be comfortable and safe, you know, through the mask and everything else, wearing it indoors to remain safe. The cool thing about the show and what we saw yesterday is people are just eager to get out. People are eager to learn. And I think now that people are feeling healthier throughout the state of Colorado, knowing that we have these warm days ahead, it's it's springtime almost, man. Or at least it feels like it. <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, it's 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 time. Yeah, well, that's why I was saying, you know, we're we can get some really cold weather yet and heavy snow, but we like you said, we can get those seventy-five degree days and things can change yeah. so rapidly. Why don't you kind of tell people for what they'll see if they come out to the show? What's left? Uh, how many how many hours and days are left? And kind of what you're doing out there? 
Oh, no, absolutely. Thanks for that. Yeah, so the show's going to go on full-time today. It's starting at 9 a.m., so the show's just starting to kick off now, and it's going to last, I believe, until 5 p.m. today. And anything from casting demos, tying demos, theater talks, classes, a lot of different um, exhibitors with companies and shops, places to travel and fish around the globe. It's amazing. So come on down and enjoy some of the talks. I'll be up at the casting pond starting at 10.15, and I'll do a time demo after that and do a presentation on my new book, Guide Flies, which will be available at the show. And it's just a really good time. And this convention center is incredible. The Gaylords built this a few years back, brand new, with huge vaulted ceilings and amazing platforms and areas to learn. So it's worth coming down. Yeah, and it's just, like I said, we're just, I think all of us are ready for this pent-up contact with, you know, I get so much feedback when I go to these shows, the people that listen to the radio, and, you know, you always get a few people on social media, and a few people use a text line at the station, but it's good to hear, and and I like hearing both ways. I like hearing people say, hey, we just love what you do, or I wish you'd do more of this, or not less of that, because it, it helps us, too, to stay in touch. So you're going to be talking there. Uh, you're going to be talking about your new book, uh, uh, Guide Flies. Tell me about that book. Yeah, it's a cool, cool project. We ended up doing it 2020 and then completed it uh, last year. And it's Guide Flies, easy to tie patterns for tough trout. And the, the whole premise of the book is learning how to tie specific patterns. There's 20 in the book. And then also in addition to that, how to fish them, how to rig them. And it's a nice step-by-step from dries nymphs and streamers, just different tactics and techniques with the flies. And I'll do presentations on how to cast those fish, presentations on how to rig and all that good stuff combined. So there'll be a lot of that going on at the show today for sure. Well, you know, I think fly tying, and we see a lot of it in the winter, obviously. That's one of the things about fly fishing. If it's if the weather is too inclement or you just don't want to go out that day, you can go into your wherever you do your tying, set up your vice, and, and you, you get into the mood of fishing because you you feel like you're really involved you're creating and of course catching a fish on flies you tie i got a couple of things you said 20 flies uh, and i was glad to hear that because i think sometimes we overwhelm people and too many choices can be worse than not enough don't you oh absolutely yeah, i agree and you know you always want to have opportunities for different flies sizes and matched up with different disciplines but fly time is amazing it's I used to always and still do tell people it's the best way to stay connected to the water when you're off the water is being on the vice and trying to think through the process of what flies to use, how to rig them. It prepares you for the day of fishing ahead or thoughts of trips ahead. So it's it's a great way to stay connected for sure. Yeah, and, you know, we used to do a thing on the show where we'd, we'd ask the fly anglers, if you could only have five flies and had to do all your fly fishing with them, trout in Colorado, not salt water and that type of thing. Do you have four or five that just types of flies? Did you say these are just gotta haves? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'd start out with, you know, one of the the most popular bugs that I've designed and is available with Uncle is called the Mare's Mini Leech. And I would say number one, a leech is a great pattern to have in your box because it represents a non-escaping food supply and it's a way to really attract fish. It's always leech season as well, Terry. So the thing to remember is that whether it's high water, low water, clear, dirty, winter, spring, summer, fall, you'll always have leeches in the water. And next to that for a midge, I would definitely say a black beauty. Pat Dorsey's black beauty midge is a great invitation to have, representing the only hatch that's year-round, which is midges. A classic pheasant tail is another invitation to have as a nymph, just what really works well. And I'd say the uh, the fourth would be a copper john, just a copper john being John Barr's design, which is a weighted nymph, an attractor in red. And then last but not least, 
I would have to say that my personal favorite streamer would be a double gonga, Charlie Craven's double gonga. So those are five flies. I think that if you have in your box, ready to get out and hit the water and just great opportunities in uh, subsurface environments with the fishing during the winter. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, impressed, or I should, I'm a little surprised, but happy that you mentioned two flies, a streamer and a leech that a lot of times conventional fly anglers have trouble going to. I think right. they're like you said, they're types of flies you can use year round, but because you have to give them some life, you can't always just drift them. I think sometimes right. fly anglers get a little shy about them. Absolutely, yeah. You definitely want to have confidence in being able to move. You know, when they talk about a drag-free drift, realistically, nothing above the surface of the water. So the water surface and below, there's nothing that's moving, and it's not ever drag-free. So you're always going to have movement, and being able to supply that or apply it to different flies really can help out quite a bit. So I would definitely recommend adding life to the leeches and life to different flies you try to swing or dead drift. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. I want to move on and maybe get another tip for winter fly fishermen here. But before I do that, let's go back to your book, Guide Flies. People are getting started flying. What do you think is the number one mistake or maybe a couple mistakes that people make when they first start tying flies? I think the biggest thing to remember when you're tying flies is just to have proportions correct. When you start out, you don't want to crowd the eye of the hook. I think you want to build a body to where it represents and looks like the natural wood, whether it's tapered thin on the back or tapered thin on the front, trying to get those proportions down by not overcrowding the eye or applying too many wraps of thread and material in one specific spot. And the best way to do that is to start out with a midge, thread and wire, try to make it thin all the way through the body. And it really does make that fly come to life. So that's one recommendation I would have. And the other is to learn how to whip finish. You know, when you're tying the knot at the end of the fly, it's making sure when you complete it, if you whip finish properly and correctly, you can place the knot specifically where you want it to be, right behind the eye of the hook, at the bend of the hook, however it's designed and tied. You want to make sure you get the whip finish tool down. That's those are great tips. And the, the book, again, what's the name of the book? Uh, the book is Guide Flies, Easy to Tie Patterns for Tough Trout. It's available here at the store and uh, in the, the actual fly show. It's available on my website, landingmareflyfishing.com, and it's through Line Stack Pool Book. So it's a cool project. This came out this last December, fresh on the market, and again, 20 flies, learn how to rig them, step-by-step photos, over 700 photos in the book on how to tie the flies, and most importantly, how to diagrams on rigging and fishing them as well. Now, you also have done other books and countless magazine articles, a lot of them on big fish and a lot of them on areas right here around Colorado. So if we've got some listeners, it's going to get really nice here, you know. Some people aren't Super Bowl fans. They may want to sneak out tomorrow, but even Monday and Tuesday, it's going to be in the 50s at least. You've got a couple yeah. maybe places you'd recommend or techniques or maybe give a few tips for people who want to sneak out. Sure, yeah, I would recommend definitely hitting the tailwaters. I think the tailwater game right now where yeah, the river system is flowing out of the bottom of the reservoir feeds, a lot of those systems are going to be 42 degrees or warmer, so it gives you opportunities to fish throughout the winter and the spring months. And I would recommend the tailwaters being the South Platte, or you could hit some of those in the even higher country, you know, the Taylor River, Rudai below that on the frying pan, anywhere you're going to have moving water and a lot more water that's warmer in the 42-degree range is a good good target spot. And then once there's ice off hitting on the reservoirs, those edges open up, that can be lights out as well. Get a lot of those fish on the edge where the water's warming up. They're starting to see the midges or chronomids and starting to get their chew on, so that could be another great location. 
In fact, we're going to do a whole uh, thing on that later in the show about is the ice recedes, how active those trouts can be along the shoreline. You don't have to wait till the lake is ice-free. That can be a tremendous opportunity. When you approach most tailwaters, do you go with the mindset you have a few flies you want to use? Of course, some of the tailwaters you mentioned have different forage base. Some have studs and shrimp, and some have are just more are different insects. Do you kind of look at that when you go and have a, a preconceived idea, or are there certain flies you like to start with in tailwaters? Yeah, I think the tailwaters, the biggest thing is just to think small, and, and for sure right now it's going to be the midge game. That's the one insect that hatches year-round. So I think midges are the way to go. And then when you have attractors like eggs or leeches or worms, things that can be above that to get the fish to come over. Sometimes they'll take the attractor at the larger meal. Other times they'll take the smaller one trailing behind. So it makes a big difference. And I think that's really one of the best ways to approach the winter months. I, I couldn't agree more. One of the things, and you're a much more accomplished fly angler than I am, but one of the things I like to do this time of the year is if I can, I try to get rid of the split shot. I try to use maybe um, weighted flies with tungsten beads maybe to wait so I have a less complicated setup and maybe they have a little more time to look it over and it looks a little more natural. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's the more natural your rig can look, the better off you are, whether it's eliminating split shot on the rig, whether it's a strike indicator that looks like something natural on the surface. Anytime it's clear water setting, that's what you want the fish to do is remain comfortable. Trout don't necessarily know that there's an angler there and specific flies they don't want to take. They're more wary of predators from above. So if you can eliminate that where you don't have split shot, there's not movement above the fish in clear water settings, the better shot you have of those fish taking the fly. Thank you. Hey, before we let you go, we're almost out of time. Take us back to the fly show. Tell us what you're doing there again and what the hours and maybe how people find the place. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, convention center down. Uh, so just it's going to be east of Denver. Great convention. The fly fishing show will be going on today. And again, the casting demo and the casting ponds where I'll be at. It's titled Mastering the Short Game, Conventional Casting Techniques for Casting in Short Range to Trout. I'll be doing that at 10:15, and then following that are going to be other great demonstrations. And when you get to the Gaylord Convention Center, the convention hall itself is all booked up with the fly fishing show for the next two days. So if you have a chance to get down, be safe on the roads. We'd love to see you down here and wishing everybody great success on the, off the water in 2022. Landon, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. You're always such a great resource. We need to get you on more often. You're just, you have so much knowledge and so much to give to the fly fishing community. Thanks for joining us this morning. No, my pleasure, Terry. Great to be back and great working with you again. And I'll come down and like we talked about earlier, I'll get in the studio with you. We'll spend the morning together. That'd be fantastic. I look forward to it. And maybe one day we'll even get on the water together. Let's do it. Let's make that the year. This year and next year, whenever we can, man, I'd love to sneak away and go after and try to hunt some trout down. That'd be fantastic. Thank you, Landon. That's Landon Meyer, folks. You bet. Landon Meyer, folks, head down to the fly show and there's a lot of great people down there stop by and see them i think we're all ready for some contact and we're going to talk more about those edge trout he talked about but first when we come back we're going to take you to a place where you can go on a moonlight hike or you can snowshoe or cross-country ski get some hot chocolate and just have a great time all that more coming up on terry wickstrom outdoors on 104.3 the fan You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Jack's has locations up and down the Front Range. If you're an outdoor enthusiast and you've never been in a Jack's store, you need to stop in one of their outdoor gear stores. You will be pleasantly surprised. Let's go to the phones. 
and joining us from State Forest State Park is Riley Sabinovsky. Good morning, Riley. Good morning. How's the weather up there in State Park today? We got a little snow on the Front Range last last night. Uh, it's not too bad here. It's a little cold. It's about four degrees last I looked. We got maybe two inches overnight. You know, State uh, Forest State Park has always been one of my favorite favorite parks to visit. There's a lot of different opportunities there for recreation. Why don't you tell people where it's located and kind of describe the park? Because it's kind of spread out compared to other parks. Sure. So we're located about 30 minutes east of Walden, Colorado on Highway 14. And the park has quite a bit of opportunities for recreation. We have tons of trails, a bunch of ski areas, and we have few lakes for fishing then we have snowmobile trails uh, a groomed ski trail and i i think uh you know of course always up there wildlife watch let's talk about some of the things you can do in the park it's a huge park isn't it people don't realize how big it is i mean it's thousands of acres if i'm right is that am i correct yeah i believe it's i want to say about seventy thousand around there somewhere yeah. Yeah, and then, of course, there's other federal lands around and stuff, too, so the outdoor area up there, and that leads to the kind of primitive settings for wildlife watching and things we'll get to in a minute. Um, let's talk a little bit about the fishing. Probably isn't the best fishing destination right now because North Michigan Reservoir, which is probably the, well, there's some higher lakes, but they're a little tough to reach. There's a number of lakes there, but for ice fishermen, North Michigan would typically be, the main uh, destination. I've fished it many times myself, but right now they're doing some dam work. Can you update us on what the status? Do we have an idea when we'll see that starting to finish up? Yes. Yeah, so the the dam itself is complete. They uh, are done with construction for this year. They will be back once the snow melts out to do some restoration work on the vegetation around the area. And the water level in the lake it is it did fill quite a bit. It's not quite to its original level. I have seen a few guys out there doing some ice fishing. I'm not sure how much luck they've had, but it's possible to get out there. But like I said, I'm not sure what the fish populations are like right now after the work. And then I'm sure that we'll probably see some aggressive stocking as they reopen and fill that, don't you think? Yeah, there is plans to do some stocking, and I've heard that they are going to do a little extra just based on the fact that they did have it drained. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, it can be just a fantastic year-round fishery. You also have ranger lakes up there near the park. Do they get much attention in the winter, or do people just, are they kind of more of a summer stalker trout thing? Uh, it's more of a summer thing, just because uh, it's pretty shallow, so there isn't too much area where you could actually get through the ice and not just hit the ground. And then, of course, you got a bunch of high mountain lakes that are probably frozen pretty solid and inaccessible. We'll get you back on in the spring. We'll talk about those. But you mentioned the trails. You just have miles and miles of trails, don't you? Yeah, we have quite a few miles of trails. There's pretty much a trail for anything you're wanting to do, whether it's hiking, snowmobiling, skiing. In the summer, there's uh, OHV trails. And, and then, of course, you have camping. What kind of you have camping facilities in a couple different places? Uh, what's the status of those in the winter? So, most of our camping right now, we have quite a few spots. We have 
pretty much sites all over the park. But right now, uh, most of them are closed for the winter. What we do have open is the North Michigan cabins and the primitive sites on County Road 41 are the sites we keep open for the winter. And if people were interested, are those, do they have to go through the reservation system for those in the winter too? Yep. So you go to that cpwshop.com and that's where you can get the reservations for those sites and those cabins. I'll tell you what, folks, when North Michigan Reservoir is back and staying in those cabins, whether it's ice fishing or open water fishing, you almost could cast from the cabin. You're a short walk down to the lake, and it's beautiful. And the one thing we haven't mentioned, and it'll kind of segue into what else we're going to talk about, and that's the wildlife watching. You're famous for the moose up there, aren't you? Yeah, it's definitely a big moose area. There's... I believe 700 moose is the last count they had in this area. And almost every time I come up there, I see a moose. Um, one of the things, I want to talk about some other animals you can see there, especially the birds. But one thing we always, when we talk about watching moose, is just be mindful to do it from a distance, folks. Because moose tend to be, they're extremely dangerous animals. They're majestic, they're wonderful to look at. But they're the one member of the deer family that's not afraid of humans. And if you have a dog, they will see that dog as a wolf, and they will attack it and try to stomp you. And more often than not, the owner of the dog ends up getting stomped. So think very carefully if you're going to have a dog in moose country. It has to be on a leash, or don't take them with. Take your dog when you go somewhere else. But seeing the moose up there is, I see moose up there all the time, Riley, and it's such a draw. But you're telling me you're seeing a lot of birds up there, too. Yeah, a lot of our, our feeders here at the Moose Visitor Center have had quite a bit of birds on them these last couple of days. And do people come up there just for the bird watching too? Yeah, we get quite a few visitors that come up just to see the birds in the park. Now, you got an event coming up, and that's what we want to let people know. I kind of teased it last, uh, my last segment. <clears throat> you got a, what's called a full moon, and it's going to be hike and ski and snowshoe, and that's a week from this Saturday, I believe, at about 6.30 to 9 in the evening. Tell us about that. What's going to be going on there? Yep, so on our groomed trail, the Gould Loop, we have a groom for skiing and snowshoeing. We're going to have a full moon hike on it, so... We'll have the Visitor Center open late that night. We'll have hot chocolate here at the Visitor Center. And then as you hike down the trail, we'll have a fire stop over there where you can stop at one of our campfires with a couple rangers at it. And we light the trail with some light sticks. And it's pretty much you just get to hike the gold loop at night under the full moon and just kind of enjoy the night sky. So you can either hike it or you can snowshoe or cross-country ski. Now, you're on your own as far as going the trail, but it's marked and lit, and there's a campfire, there's hot chocolate. But I think at one point of the night, you are going to go out about halfway through if people wanted to kind of follow somebody out. Is that right? Yep, yep. I'll be heading out to the fire uh, about halfway through the night, and if anyone's willing to join, they're welcome to. And, and when does this event, when do you... I, when you, I suppose the trail's open, but when do you start officially, you know, calling it the full moon hike? It gets dark. Would you say you told me, I think, about 6.30 at night and it goes till about 9. Is that right? Yep. So about 6.30, uh, a couple rangers will head out and they'll start getting that fire ready. So they'll probably be have the fire lit about 7 o'clock. And then from then on, it's the full moon. 
And it just sounds like a great time. And it's so beautiful up there. And with the snow and the full moon, it's amazing. You get a full moon if the skies aren't too cloudy. And it can almost get like daylight on the snow, can it? Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. It's like the the sun doesn't go down. It's so bright with all the moonlight reflecting off the white snow. Yeah, what a great camaraderie. This would be a family activity. Have some hot chocolate, go good exercise and you know, just see some beautiful train. Just a great, great, great opportunity. So I'm sure there's information on the park's website about this. Yeah, or Facebook, we have it on our maybe. website. All right. Well, Riley, thank you for joining us and sharing that event. Hopefully a lot of people will get up and take advantage of it. No problem. I look forward to seeing everyone there. All right. Thank you. That's Riley from State Forest State Park. Sounds like a great activity. You know, just on this show, we talk a lot of hunting and fishing, but that's not all we talk. We talk camping. We talk trails. We, talk, we just want you to enjoy all the outdoor we have here in Colorado because it is such a phenomenal resource. Speaking of resources, we're going to take a time out. We come back. One of our favorite resources for fishing information, Austin Parr, is going to join us. And we're going to take you through current conditions and kind of peek forward to some of the fishing that's going to open up very soon that I'm really excited about. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Mr. Bob Seeger, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phone. And joining us, as he does frequently, he's one of our favorite uh, resources. You know, I said fishing early, but he pipes in a lot on hunting, too, don't you, Mr. Austin Barr? Certainly. <clears throat> certainly try to. You know, it, uh, the wintertime and fall always is tough for me in spring, even with turkeys, but uh, you never quite know what to do. Yeah, and we're not that far away from turkey season, and a lot of other things changing, and we're going to get to that a little later. I kind of teased during a segment with Landon Mayer, the fly fisherman, that we were going to talk about uh, some open water fishing that happens pretty quickly, long before all the ice has gone off the lakes. But right now, let's go. Let's talk about what are you seeing out there on the ice right now? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm certainly selling uh, a lot of minnows and, and equipment to people going on the front range, but I would definitely be highly cautious if you head out and do any of that chatfield in particular took a beating with some of the wind and and uh, warmer conditions over the last several days obviously not counting today but the challenge with all this cold that we just had here is that it kind of gives you a false sense of security you feel like okay it's cold we're, we're good to go again but when you get six or eight inches of snow on top of the ice not only does it inflate that ice but it also will cover up a lot of those bad sections and you can't visually determine what's good and what's not. So having a spot bar, as we mentioned frequently, is critically important at this point. But from what I was hearing as of two days ago, uh, yesterday morning actually, but uh, the west side of Chatfield was pretty soft and, and challenging to get on really wherever you would go. Um, but if you can get on the ice, the fishing has been pretty reasonable, particularly in the lower light periods. Uh, folks have been catching quite a few walleyes at both Chatfield and Cherry Creek and some bass mixed in, but those bass, I'd be be pretty uh, pretty careful to get out to those deeper water spots by the dam. I, I would be nervous to do it and, and would be spending more of my time up in the high country. So what are you hearing up in the high country? What kind of, who's, where, where, is, the, where is it still pretty good? Just, really, the ice is solid all over the place. Now, South Park in general, we'll talk about kind of the bad before the good. Uh, there's been some folks catching a few fish here and there, but Antero and 11 Mile 
been on the slower side of things, certainly. Uh, And there's people catching fish here and there, but it's not the the good numbers of early ice. But transitioning to some lakes that are similar to those and heading up towards Stagecoach or Steamboat have both been producing quite a few nice fish. Getting in that river channel on the western side of Stagecoach or getting off of some of the, the big islands on Steamboat have both been producing good fish on a lot of the standard applications that we discussed. So jigging something like a 132nd ounce tube jig, like a Berkeley atomic tube or an atomic teaser, and then sitting a rat pinky or a small tungsten jig off to the side, uh, tip those with a middle and row wax, and we've both been producing well. And it's been more of an early, uh, light bite, uh, as usual, really, for the ice fishing later in the season. But uh, the bite's been productive. A lot of folks have been catching a lot of fish, but there has been uh, quite a bit of slush on both lakes. So if you head on up there, uh, maybe a pair of insulated muck boots could do you well. All right. And what about some of the places, the, maybe the mid-level stock places like Red Feathers or, or maybe even where there's big fish like Lake John? Have you heard anything on those? I know you get some reports on the Laramie Plains lakes, too. I do, yeah. Lake John has been a little bit slower. Folks have been catching some fish, but with the increasing populations of fatheads and stickleback minnows in that lake, uh, the forage base is quite strong. So it's been a little bit more challenging. The fish are incredibly healthy up there, but the fight has been a little bit slower. Red feathers have been doing quite well. Uh, those lakes, although you're not going to catch a lot of bigger fish up there, you may happen into one carbon here or there, but in general, they've been producing good amounts of fish, quite a bit of snow up there, especially after the last couple of storms have been hitting that uh, that area quite hard. But uh, the fishing has been worthwhile. Up in that same area, I did talk to a gentleman who fished Joe Wright, and pretty much it sounded like he needed snowshoes to get onto the lake, but he got out there, and, and the grayling bite was, was good. The ice was quite thick, but uh, the grayling bite was good. And then, as you mentioned, those Laramie Plains lakes, I, I don't hear a ton about them, but every, every time I hear, man, it's big fish and uh, good numbers of fish. You know, you hear uh, Wheatland number three is always one that comes to mind as well as Hottie. But those lakes up there can be quite effective and really are going to be taking a lot less pressure than you'll be finding on any of the Colorado uh, lakes, especially ones close to town. You know, I'll make a couple comments. One about Lake John. You know, Lake John's an extremely fertile lake, and they stock it pretty heavily, but there is a lot of forage. And early in the year when the water is highly oxygenated, those fish are more active. You get to this time of the year on a lake that is so so fertile, you start to fight the oxygen levels. Not that I don't think it's hurting the fish. They've kind of been able to overcome some of that so far. But it really slows them down, and when they do feed, there's so much forage. But if you just want it to hunt five to eight pound rainbows and you didn't care about the action. I don't know if there's a better place than Lake John. I mean, sometimes Ontario can be like that too, but boy, you can, if you're willing to put in the time, you can catch some awfully big fish up there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's where I personally caught my largest uh, rainbow ever in the state. And uh, it grows fish so fast up there. They'll stock them small. And then within just a couple of seasons, you're getting up into that three to four pound class. And uh, it doesn't take long to, to get those big fish back in that system. So they are around, but it can be a little bit slower this time of year. And there's a lot of snow up there. Uh, the road on that eastern side of the lake where it splits the lower Lake John from upper Lake John, from what I understand, is pretty inaccessible. So all of the access is off the western side of the lake. And getting out there off the edge of those weed lines and, and a lot of times jigging something a little bit larger to imitate some of those bait fish. I like gulp minnows a lot up there, a two-and-a-half-inch gulp minnow or some of the, the Berkeley Realistics power minnows are another one of my favorites and uh, a lot larger stuff than what I would normally be doing. But, and then I'll still set my 
dead stick rod with something a little bit smaller sitting right next to it. Uh, the rat finky definitely comes to mind, but a lot of times I will go with a little bit stronger hook than the rat finky. Those are a very effective bait, but with that gold hook, it can be weak. So VMC makes a larvae jig that's very similar to it, but it has a hook that is much, much stronger. So when you hook into one of those large fish, you don't have to worry about uh, the hook nearly as much. For people who are still just either getting into ice fishing for the first time or need to add to their gear, um, we've got quite a bit. Of, we'll probably have another solid month, month and a half in the mountains, maybe even more. We could lose the front range with just in a week or two. We don't know. It could go on for three or four weeks, but depending on the weather. What if I'm looking for ice fishing gear? Is it still available? Or can people stock up for next year or for things they've figured out fishing this year that they really need and don't have? Yeah, we certainly have a lot of stuff still at the store at the moment. Uh, the, the inventory, we kind of do it by design. Uh, after the big box, we'll, we'll get out of stuff. But mentioning the big box stores, a lot of those guys are really struggling at the moment. And, and particularly to dealing with like Bass Pro, they're shifting to the spring fishing classics. So a lot of the ice fishing stuff is completely gone. Um, but we, like I said, we've still got it, but it's, it's available, but, but definitely more limited and, and uh, in general this year, there were some things I didn't even get at all. So, like, for instance, ion augers just never came. Uh, the orders were placed and it never came. So uh, some stuff certainly is still around, but, but it's starting to, to dwindle just a bit. I want to um, take a break here, Austin. But when I come back, I kind of tease that there's a, an opportunity for trout. It'll start on the front range. It'll work its way up the mountains. As this ice recedes, it can be some of the best fishing of the year. If I put you on hold, can we come back and talk about that? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right. We'll put Austin on hold. When we come back, this is one of the opportunities that doesn't get fished enough. The ice fishermen stop. The open water fishermen don't get out yet. But there's a period in between that can be some of the best trout fishing, whether you're a fly or conventional angler of the entire year. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're just a teardrop. In my eyes each night I cry myself to sleep You're just a memory of a love I somehow couldn't keep You're lifting 104.3 The Fan, by the way, that cut you heard was from my recently released EP That's a teardrop in your eyes If you just... Search Wickstrom and Dobreth on your favorite streaming service or on social media. And we've got our, our EP out there, and we'll be releasing more music probably later this year. Let's go right back to the phones. And Austin, you still with us? I'm still here. All right. So we, we, there's an opportunity that's going to come up. We talked about the ice fishing, but and there's tailwaters right now, and Pueblo's open. But up and down the front range, it'll start there first. And then it'll move its way up the mountains as the temperatures warm and the ice starts receding from shore, whether it's on small lakes and ponds, usually first and then the bigger ones. But there's still going to be a lot of ice out there. You just can't get out because it'll be there'll be no access. <clears throat> but there'll be enough open water by shore. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that open water will see a huge increase in bug life and mineral life and oxygen and it really draws the fish in, both stalker and some extremely large trout. And I really believe it can be one of the best trout opportunities of the year. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. A lot of these local bodies of water, particularly when you're talking about Chatfield, 
or Aurora going up north, up into Carter or Horsetooth. It has good deep water to allow these fish to hold over in the wintertime. Those bodies of water truly produce large fish. They are very fertile when it comes to, to forage base. So many shad and smelt when you deal with horse tooth up there. And, and fish get to sizes that you'd be chasing up in the mountains, making long-range runs for. So it's a situation where I, I think that, that it's one of my favorites of the year. Not only can you have great opportunities on the conventional side of things, but fly fishing as well. You'll have those big rainbows and those cut bows that'll be attempting to spawn and working in big packs along the shores. And you can catch them on egg flies. You can work through and strip streamers to them. But then, uh, as we mentioned before, you can do things like cast masters or spinners or even a fly in a bubble on conventional tackle. Yeah, there's there's just almost an unlimited number of ways to go after them. And it doesn't have to be as far away from shore to catch them, the ice, as you think. Because a lot of times I'm making my cast parallel down the shoreline. There may be only 20 feet of open water in front of me, but there may, may be the whole length of the shore. And sometimes those fish might spook you if you're right next to them. I think a great way is to take, like you said, a cast master or even a hard bait, like a small crankbait or jerk bait, and cast up and down the shore. You might be surprised what else you'll catch doing that, too. Yeah, you'll have other other species that are up in there as well, but those trout are just so much more active than the warm water fish when you're dealing with that cold water temp. So they, they have a metabolism that works much better at that cold temperature. And, and when you get onto that ice off, everyone talks about it up in the mountains, but a lot of people ignore it down here on the, the Plains Lakes. So it's something to certainly take advantage of and, and keep on your radar over the next couple of weeks is looking at the weather forecast. Uh, it could be potentially sooner rather than later. And if you get those winds along some of those north shoreline edges with southern exposure, those those edges are going to open up quickly, and some of them already are. So we'll have that opportunity here within probably just a couple of weeks. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. You know, another way I like to fish it, too, is if I know there's some access to deep water and a shelf, I'll take a small jig, or maybe not too small, like maybe a gulp minnow or, or a tube, and throw it right up on the ice shelf that I can cast to, and then just slowly drag it so it falls just naturally off the edge of that ice. You can't get a more natural presentation. Oh, yeah, I've done that with the streamers as well, getting a nice conehead woolly bugger or streamer of the sort and cast it up there and, like you mentioned, pull it straight off and just let that fall slowly. And those trout are cruising those those edges. They use it kind of as a structure point, uh, like you'd think of a, a dock or something almost, where they'll have that, that overhead cover and that bait is falling down right there and those fish come shooting over and, and eat it and then with those streamers uh not only am i fishing uh those just by themselves but a lot of times i'll tie on a piece of tippet onto the, the hook itself and then trail a soft tackle nymph down below so something like a small calabatus or one of my favorites are our soft tackle pheasant tails and hare's ears and those fish will come up and see that streamer to start with maybe tail off a bit but then they'll almost use it as an attractor and then they'll eat the the small nymph next to it so it's something that i've had fantastic success on over the years and you know what and even the the lakes like saint Verain and places that probably have, don't have big holdover fish the stalker trout Wherever they were planted in the lake, especially the rainbows, like you said, they're trying to spawn. If there is an inlet, they might go to that. Um, but a lot of times the boat ramps and the boat ramps will, um, the ice will go away because of the cement or rocks. And, uh, those trout will, that's where they're imprinted. You'll be amazed how many trout come back and gather there in the spring. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You get on those gravelly edges and you'll literally have packs of, 
of 20 or 30 sometimes it'll come cruising those edges and you can even sight fish to them cast out in front and then catch those and and uh, it's great fishing all the way across the front range yeah so watch for that folks we're going to talk more about it over the next few weeks but it will happen suddenly will all of a sudden people aren't going to be able to get out ice fishing and the ice is going to start to recede and within a matter of a week this is going to take place and it'll last two three weeks on the front range but it'll go away as those fish move out and then you'll go up to the next level before i let you go austin um we're, we had we've had trouble getting equipment i'm not going to kid anybody that everybody's had trouble that everybody's so sick of hearing the word supply chain whether you're grocery shopping or getting gasoline or buying fishing gear what are you looking out there what are you seeing are we going to see an improvement this year should should i be looking early and if i see something i need or something close should i be buying it or am i should be waiting to see what comes in it's going to be kind of a mixture. So I've uh, received quite a bit of product already. A lot of the American-made stuff certainly has been coming in. Line has been good from Berkeley. Soft baits from Berkeley have, have been worthwhile. Some of the European baits uh, from Rapala have been tough. And it's certainly going to be interesting to see what happens with that over the next coming days when you talk about this Russia-Ukraine situation here with a lot of the, those products being made in Estonia, just a stone's throw away over there. Um, so that's something to be thinking about. But talking with some factories direct in China, uh, they've been having a big-time energy issue over there and through COVID as well. What, From my understanding, they're telling me that they're shutting down um, all but two days a week on individual factories. So anything's made in China. It's been not only tough to get it here, but then it sounds like the manufacturing is being even more challenging over there. So uh, I would definitely be thinking about getting this stuff right now. Uh, rods have been pretty good, particularly American-made rods like St. Croix uh, have been, been pretty worthwhile, but then you try and put a reel on there and that stock is exceedingly limited. Daiwa has been getting better. Shimano is still terrible. Um, but then Fluger and Abu Garcia, I would consider to be at the moment okay, but not all the way through the entire lineup. You'll get maybe some lower end or maybe just high end in Shimano's case. I get stuff that's over $400, but if you want anything that, that's in the, the more affordable range, it has been nearly impossible over the last little bit, and that does not seem to be getting a whole lot better. You know, you mentioned a couple of things. I'll add on something. I've spent quite a bit of time over in Estonia for different reasons. And the manufacturing over there um, is, uh, is, is dependent. You know, they were part of Russia. And this whole thing with the Ukraine over there, a few things people don't realize. Not only is it going to hurt European manufacturing, fuel prices are going to skyrocket. So we can see another huge round of inflation on what we do get because we've cut down U.S. production, so we can't supplement that anymore. So fuel prices, if they invade, could go through the roof. The other thing yeah. is that China is starting to bond with Russia. And if, if, if the U.S. and NATO countries want to punish Russia for invading Ukraine, they may put sanctions on Russia, which could lead to sanctions on China which could yeah. really shut down manufacturing. So it's really going to be an iffy year, I think. And that's I know that's away from the outdoor subject, but if you're an outdoor enthusiast, be aware of this because we want you to get out and enjoy things. Last comments yeah. before we let you go, my friend. Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, I just can't, can't emphasize that enough. If you want something, especially something specific, right now is the, the time to be thinking about it. Karen would tell him to come to my garage, but I'm keeping it shut. <laughs> might, might, might be wise to be doing that at the moment. <laughs> All right. Austin, thanks for joining. As always, great resource. Thanks so much, Terry. I appreciate it.
All right. We'll talk to you again soon. That's Austin Parr. We're going to take a time out. We come back. One of our favorite guests. He's on every week. He brings us everything from hunting to fishing, open water to ice. He's always one of our best resources. Mr. Nate Zielinski will join us on Terry Wicksham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.